0: Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, a podcast dedicated to educating the Latino community
1: about entrepreneurship, investing, and business.
0: Yo, what's going on, Latin Wealth family? Welcome to another episode of the Latin Wealth Podcast podcast. Hopefully you guys are doing good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm out here in Florida enjoying this weather. And we have another guest on this podcast today. And on this podcast, we've had this guest on multiple different times. He's not new to this podcast. And when it comes to investing in crypto, real estate, tech, um, AI, everything to that nature, this is somebody that has been an educator in this space for some time now and now he's um, sharing even more of his knowledge about um, AI and really the future of investing. So it was the pleasure to have him back on the platform. Welcome Armando, a.k.a. Ty- Tall Guy Tycoon. How are you doing today, bro? I'm good, man, and you? Doing pretty good. Excited to have you on. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of people that, obviously, they follow you, they know your story, they know your background, for the. but for the people that don't, Can you give them just like a five minute overview of your background and how you got into entrepreneurship? And for the audience out there, we wanna do something a little different today. We wanna give you guys some practical steps uh for business and what to do like when you're ready to sell your business or wh- if you need to pivot in your business uh we want to give you guys some practical steps today so go ahead and take the floor share it th- with the people you know how you got into entrepreneurship
1: yeah so uh first time I ever had any entrepreneurial type thing in my life was uh when I was 15 me and my brother we started a lawnmowing service in my neighborhood so we went around cutting people's yards we put them on subscriptions uh, we had business cards, we had invoices, all this stuff that we really probably didn't need, mm-hmm. but it was like, we thought we were running like a real business, so, but it did get, bring, you know, give me some, uh, business skills early yeah. on. And that's what kind of like ignited my, the spark, I should say for, mm-hmm. uh, to, for being an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So, uh, later on, I ended up going to college. Mm-hmm. Uh, so early in college, the first to second year, I wanted to study abroad in Mexico. So, but I didn't have the money. I, co- I come from a poor family. So, um. I had to, it was like it was expensive though, and in and, and stuff didn't cover it, mm-hmm. so I had to figure out a way to come up with some money. So I always before then, I always was able to find yeah. ways to make small amounts of money, like I hustle here and there. But I had to make a lot, so I went on eBay, mm-hmm. and I, I knew that people were making money on eBay. I just didn't know how. So I searched and searched and searched till I found a product that had a a big uh margin. And that mm-hmm. product was old Nintendo's, mm-hmm. refurbished Nintendo's mm-hmm. or eight bit Nintendo's the the great boxes mm-hmm. uh from the eighties. Mm-hmm. Uh and this was around the time where like retro gaming started to take over take mm. the people wanted to you know playstation once just came out Got it. uh sega saturn and the the, the next generation mm. gaming had just started but a lot of people were looking back on those old the games. old stuff yeah uh, and they wanted to play those you know Nostalgia. to bring back some memories nostalgic yeah, yeah. so I, and I saw these Nintendos on eBay selling for $160. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why did he? And I know me and my mom, back in those days, we would always go to Goodwill and yard sales. It was like a hobby mm-hmm. just to go to these places and look what they have. And I know I saw Nintendos at Goodwill and yard sales and stuff for like $20. I'm like, what's the difference between the ones that they sell online and the ones that are in Goodwill? <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. So I kept looking and looking. I read the description, whatever, and I figured out is that the, the ones that were on eBay were refurbished. That means that they cleaned them, cleaned up the inside. They repaired mm-hmm. all the paint on the outside or whatever. So they look as close to new as they can get it. And they did one thing. They went and opened a box and there was a 72-pin connector inside. And mm-hmm. in which when you put the cartridge in, that's how the game connected to the, uh, to the circuit board. And that's how you're able to play the games. And that was a big problem is that people would have to blow into these games to put the games in. And that, the reason why is because these pins were worn out. They would get like bent mm-hmm. and then dust would get in between of it. So you couldn't really, the game said it, it couldn't connect. So, so I
0: was going to say just, so blowing on the game, I know it wasn't crazy back then. It was actually helping it
1: out. Yeah, because okay. <laughs> uh, if you look at it on a microscopic level, the pins, uh, if there was any dust in between those pins, it wouldn't mm-hmm. connect. So the game wouldn't work. So you had to like, it had to be dust free. But in, it, but it, but if you went in there and you you, you each pin you like, unbent it now the connection was tight and it would push all the dust out so it would work every time got it so that was the difference right and it took about five minutes to open the nintendo and clean it all up rub it with alcohol use uh, using sandpaper scrape off any rust and then use a little like bobby pin to p- each one of those pins just pu- push it back up mm. and then clean out the outside now you got a 106 six dollar nintendo
0: and you sell it on ebay selling on ebay for
1: 160 and i was mm. selling like 50 to 100 a week wow so i would like what i would do is on monday morning i'd wake up and i list fifty units. Sell them all within five, six hours, hmm. maybe a hundred units. Then I would spend the rest of the week driving around and sourcing, them, sourcing them, coming home, cleaning them, and sending them out. That's so crazy. I did that, raised them. I had way more money than I needed <laughs> to go to Mexico, yeah. and uh, and that was my <laughs> first big entrepreneurial effort that I made a lot of money on. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you know, I ended up graduating college. I uh, still had that entrepreneurial bug. I went and got a, a job. I played ball in Puerto Rico for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. But uh, after that, I went um, pro ball. I don't want to say pro. <laughs> was just playing. <laughs> they thought uh, you were on the street playing. No, no went, you're playing I went, pro. I was <laughs> playing pro ball. I was getting paid. It wasn't, it wasn't that much, but it was getting paid to play yeah. basketball. Yeah. But it wasn't enough to like, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't enough at all. But uh, after that, I went on and... Uh, I came back to the States and I took a job at an artificial intelligence company called Edgenet. It was in 2000, this was 2007. Uh, It was one of the first, uh, it was, it was one of the early, it was an early artificial intelligence called expert system, which is a subset of artificial intelligence. So I was doing that work as a software engineer and I I liked it, but I still had that bug. Right. So um, 2009, I moved to Florida to go to grad school. And while I was in grad school, I started my second company called uh, APAN, uh, APAN software. The first three years I made a lot of money. Now the company, I didn't expect it to grow that fast. So I didn't have things organized the Mm -hmm. right way. And I only had one lead source, right? Uh, And that was Google. Mm -hmm. Uh, So people would search for my name on, search for software in Tampa. My page would come up first every time. So that's how I got all my leads and that's how I made all my money. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't think that I needed to prepare, you know, for anything happening in that lead source. One day I wake up in the morning, Google changes the algorithm. I'm now on page 50 Mm -hmm. for every single one of my, uh, my pages wow. no more leads come in the company starts falling i take out bad loans to try to save it and uh and it just kept falling 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 and finally i ended the company ended up with 170 180 thousand dollars in loans wow uh and i had to pay it off so i mm-hmm. uh, tried to go bankrupt There, it, it didn't work so i had to pay it off so i took uh i went back and got a high paying software engineer job at AAA here in tampa uh and i also worked that night at uh at the university teaching so, I did both of those jobs for two and a half years till I paid off all of that debt. Mm. And then I was at a point, I'm like, man, I want to start another company. But I had a business partner this time in Tampa. So, we started mm. another one called ICO Ranker. Uh, we built it the right way. We built it so we, that we could sell it. Mm-hmm. We kept the books clean, everything, all that stuff. So, we built it. We're making a, it. Was was uh, ICO Ranker, was a, a website that ranked cryptocurrencies Oh, mm-hmm. This was in 2017. It used artificial intelligence to, to try to choose which cryptos would do well mm. and it was it was one of the biggest uh crypto sites on the planet at one time we ended up selling it for two and a half million uh six months in a mm. uh, publicly traded company in canada bought it from us two and a half million plus stock and then we uh we handed it right it was it was the the books were clean the website was clean we just handed it right over to them. it took about a day and they had hey, to send us the money and that was it wow and i used that money since then to invest in real estate stocks yeah. crypto uh, i've done a lot of stuff since then so okay Cool. So so you said a lot there. And the reason why I want to
0: have this conversation, because we've had a couple of different people on the podcast come on here and give great information on where to find funding for your business, like how to get funding and how to get started, you know, and we've even had people on here in the midst of entrepreneurship, but we haven't had a conversation of like, uh, when to pivot and how to set up your business so you can sell it. Uh, an and exit. And that's something that you talk about a lot. Whenever you start a business, always have the end in mind. Exactly. So, I mean, walk us through some of the things that maybe some of the mistakes that you went through in your first business that you knew in the second business that you weren't going to make those mistakes. And just walk us through like the process of setting up your business so you can sell it and you can have an exit. And then we'll have a conversation about like what that exit even looks like.
1: Yeah. So, um, I always preach, you always have to have an exit plan and everything you do. Anytime you make a financial decision, you have to have the end in mind at the beginning. And that's what we had with ICL Rank. I didn't have that with APAN. I was just making money and going day by day. And that was a big mistake because the end comes eventually for everything. So you can either control the end or you can't. I didn't control APAN's end. Mm-hmm. the the system controlled and they pushed me out you know mm-hmm. so i didn't control that but when I, I i see a ranker the second company i controlled how that, that ended mm-hmm. that's because i thought from the beginning i planned it for an end to come now i didn't know what end that would be i didn't know i would sell it but i knew that one day I, somebody's going to acquire it uh somebody's either going to invest in it which means that's an end that people don't realize that is that when a when you grow a company and uh and like Mark Zuckerberg, right? My, I think, I believe Mark Zuckerberg owns 50% of Facebook, mm-hmm. right? His exit was selling half the company. So mm-hmm. he's, half the company is public. That's why it trades on the stock market. Yep. His exit, the reason why he's a billionaire is one, because of his company ownership, but two is because he sold Facebook. Mm-hmm. He sold half of it. He still owns majority owner, but he sold it. That's his exit. Mm-hmm. And that's a form of exit that a lot of uh, people do mm-hmm. if They when they go to the stock market. It's the exit. So regardless of your exit, you give it to your kids. Your kids may not want your business, mm-hmm. but that's a big thing that people don't realize. Yeah. So you give it to your kids, you lose it to somebody else. Somebody acquires it, or somebody invests in it. Regardless of what for, what what for those uh, things that could happen, it all has to be the business has to be done in the right way, which means the books have to be clean. Books after. meaning the books which means means the, the money coming in and out has yeah. to be clean. It can't be an inter, intermingling of funds. I can't. Uh, and a lot of times people don't understand this that. It's okay to buy a, uh, let's say, a Range Rover on your business. Mm. But the thing about it is if I'm going to a company, if I'm if I'm planning on selling it, let's say we would have sold ICO Ranker, right? Mm-hmm. And if I would have bought a Range Rover in the first six months, that would have been against the profits of the company when you wow. sell it. Because comp- when you sell a company, it goes by… Uh, when you sell a company, it goes by multiple, which means sometimes it's yearly or sometimes it's monthly. It could be like 36 months, seven years or whatever. So it goes by profit or revenue per month or profit per month. So if I, for example, if I use up all my profit going on trips mm. and uh and buying Range Rovers, at the end of the year, I may have, I may show zero profit. I don't have to pay taxes, okay? Mm-hmm. But then when somebody wants to buy the company, they say, well, why are we going to buy your company? It says, you've got zero here. you are just going to explain them that that you spent all the money, mm-hmm. now you look like a bad business owner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no. why would you spend all the money on a Range Rover you didn't need? Now nah, I don't trust the whole business. Yeah, that's interesting because
0: so, you got a lot of people preaching, yeah. um, you know, to, to write off everything. <laughs> sometimes
1: it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. But sometimes yeah, every, everything's not black and white. Mm. Like if you can't spend all the money to show a zero on the tax return because you save your money in taxes, but now nobody's going to acquire the business, mm. which you, you can make a lot more in acquisition than you could on the day-to-day profit. You know, because sometimes people, sometimes tech companies sell for ten years of profits. Mm. So you make ten years of what you would have made right now, you know, mm. and they take the company. Like our company sold, I think for like three, four years of profits, mm-hmm. maybe three or four years of profits right at one time. Wow! Right. So if your profit is shown is lower, then you're not going to get that kind of money because you spent it all on a Range Rover. So yeah. it's not worth it. So but uh, get but your books right. The books have to be right. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Is that you don't you want to show profit? Mm-hmm. And I know that you're going to pay taxes on it. But the first thing when somebody acquires your business, they want to see the tax returns. Yeah. Right. And in our case, we didn't have tax returns because it was so short. But we, they wanted to see all, the bank account. They wanted to see. We took some payments in Bitcoin. So they wanted to see all the transactions in the in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see where the money came in and out in the bank accounts. They did a full audit. And it took them 60 days for them to do that audit. Mm. So, um so, yeah, so it took them 60 days They look over every transaction. We had to explain stuff that mm. didn't, like, match up or whatever.
0: And during this time, how were you feeling? Were you guys nervous? Were you like, oh, we're good? Everything's lined up the way it should be? The thing how about you- it,
1: during that time in my mind, I, I just, I put it in my mind that there, something was going to happen and they wasn't going to buy it. Mm. And the reason I did that is because I didn't want to get let down. And two, is I wanted to continue business operations as if. It wasn't going to happen because some people would say, oh, we're going to sell it. So why even keep trying? So I kept pushing the page, kept moving it, kept mm, building just in because case. in my mind, I just put it and said, look, man, it's a good chance. They're not going to buy this. And I did that to convince myself. So my, my partner was like, no, nah, why would they go through this? And I was like, no, nah, man, they're not going to buy it because I wanted to make sure I kept pushing in case mm-hmm. they did, they chose not mm-hmm. to. But they, when you do a, a due diligence, they send you, you have some earnest money. And that money is uh, so they've already put some like ten percent down. Mm. So and then they're able to see the books and they'll do all this stuff. Oh, so,
0: so they'll send that ten yeah. percent and they'll say, "Look, we're interested in buying the and company." It's held
1: with the broker. Got it. So the broker has that money. So most of the time, if somebody goes down that path of due diligence, they're going to buy it unless you've done some kind of crazy mm-hmm. you know, uh, fraud or something that doesn't, doesn't look right. They've already saw most of it. Yeah. So this is just to make sure they're making the right decision, make sure there's nothing attached to the business, making sure the money is what you say it is, and then they buy it. So that's the due diligence part. Uh, and so doing that part is like you just have to answer questions or whatever. And at the end, they say, yeah, we're going to buy it. And no. uh, in this case, they actually – we were going to get $3 million, but they lowered it because one of the things in due diligence is they try to find ways to devalue your company. Mm. They will look for ways to devalue it, right? So what happened is that the month before we sold it, our profit dropped a little bit, so mm. that affected the multiple. So we end up losing five hundred thousand dollars because because wow. one month it dropped a little bit and they mm. would not budge on that. Wow, right. So we ended up selling, losing five hundred thousand because the multiple drop I mean the, uh, the last month profit dropped right before they closed the sale.
0: So how does that negotiate is, it, is this nego- is there a negotiation this whole time or is it just like, hey, this is what we're gonna give you and that's it.
1: It's an original negotiation First they t- you put it up uh, for sale what you want for it Then they say, yeah, we're gonna buy it or whatever. And then, uh, through a broker, got it. They have business brokers, so uh, people just like a real estate agent, mm-hmm. they have people that broker that's all they do all day is broker businesses. So, you have a business broker, that's why it's good to have relationships with people, yeah. Uh, because, um, you get the right business broker with the right connections, you can sell it for a lot more than like throwing it on Flippa or something. Like, Fli- I don't know, if people don't know, but Flip is a site mm-hmm. where you sell uh, websites at, yeah,
0: it. websites, yeah. yeah.
1: But if you it's better, you get more if you go through a business broker mm-hmm. or a website broker, uh, so.
0: Uh you go through a broker.
1: You go through a broker. Mm-hmm. And then uh so they you, you put it up for a price, and mm-hmm. then somebody says, Hey, we'll pay, we will pay for that. We'll buy it buy it for you at the price that you have for offer, for sale. And then they'll go through the due diligence, and that, that due diligence is, is a good chance for them to bring that's when they negotiate. They mm-hmm. try to find something wrong, and they'll come back at you and say, Look, we can't give you what you asked, but we're gonna give you this, right? And then that's when the negotiation starts. Mm-hmm. So one thing that we were able to do. Is that that's when we negotiated for the stock instead of the uh, the cash because we they lowered the cash where we were going to get mm-hmm. instead of getting three million we ended up with two and a half but then we were able to to uh, to to cover that with some stock and mm-hmm. what's called warrants. Mm-hmm. Warrants are a type of a uh, stock asset, but uh, you you have a, like a it's almost like an option mm-hmm. where if this if their stock did go up, we were locked in at let's say at the time it was ten cents so mm-hmm. we were locked in at ten cents on mm-hmm. the warrants. And that was, that was the current price of that stock was mm-hmm. like 10 cents. So if the stock went up to, let's say, 40 cents, mm-hmm. we had the right for two years to buy those stocks at 10 cents no matter what. Wow. So you know, so even if it was 30 cents, we could just call them and say, hey, man, we want to exercise our warrants, and then we have to pay for the stock, right? Mm-hmm. We can instantly sell it and get to 30%. Uh, that's the way that you protect your, uh, your, your your the downside in case what you sold blew mm-hmm. up. You know? hey, how,
0: how did you guys learn about that where did you get that information business
1: partner yeah yeah wow so i didn't know i didn't even know that it existed
0: so and you said you get stock in their company so you
1: get stock in their company plus you also get warrants yeah so the warrants were on top of the stock we got so the stock is uh so you'll get like and that's another thing about the stock i'll talk about later is that i think we got like three or four hundred thousand dollars in stock and a hundred thousand in warrants uh, the warrants ended up being worthless because the stock never passed significantly past mm. uh, the 10, per, 10 cents. It actually mm. went down. Wow. So uh, we weren't able to exercise those warrants. But uh, the stock we ended up selling, and we made good money on that uh, because we got the stock for nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's free stock. You know? yeah, so Free money. You just, whatever the price is, it don't matter. Yeah. So, uh, But the problem with stock is that uh, you, almost, you have to sell it because we had a, a lockup period of 90 days. So in that 90 days, you cannot sell the stock because they're scared you're going to dump it on the market. Mm-hmm. So after the 90 days is over, the, the, the problem is that when, when you have the ability to sell a stock, let's say you got $300,000 worth of stock in an account, the government sees it as you just got $300,000. Mm-hmm. And it's no different than stock, dollars, gold, yeah. it don't matter. So at the end of the year, you owe taxes on $300,000. It don't matter. If, let's say if you held the stock and end up dropping down to zero, when tax time comes around, They don't care what the stock is at now. You got $300,000 in stock on this day. So you owe us taxes. So you got to be careful with that. And you had to, we had to sell a bunch of it just to cover the taxes Mm. that that was coming.
0: That's crazy. All right. So um, this is definitely good information. Very intriguing. So you post what you want to sell it at. Of the companies coming to you guys, and they're negotiating, they're doing the due diligence, they're checking their books. Is there anything else that they're checking? Is there check? Are they checking like anything personal about you guys? No, not checking? really.
1: They didn't even know. I, they never saw my face during the whole transaction. Mm. I wasn't on social media then. Got it. So got uh, it. that that's the thing I like about uh, tech is that you can build something great. And I, there's a lot of bias in the world. There's a lot of people that. It may not like you for what you look like, your mm-hmm. name or whatever yeah. like that, but they don't even know who you are. They didn't know who I, my name until the due diligence started. Mm-hmm. They didn't know. They just it was just dealing with, you know, ICO mm-hmm. right with the uh, broker. Mm-hmm. So they, they met me mm-hmm. on the day of the sale when we were sending assets over. They were going through the checklist and they were sending us. They sent the money over when it mm-hmm. was all done.
0: And how does that money when how does that process work when they're sending the money over? They just drop it in your bank account. Yeah, it's, okay. it's
1: crazy. It's just like that. Man. And
0: so talk about like, talk about that moment because uh, just before that, you were saying that look, you were working two jobs, you basically bankrupt, you know, family and all this stuff, um, and you built something up in six months. How what was that feeling like when you guys sold the company? It officially? wasn't
1: even like like I didn't even like you said I didn't get excited and it was it was so surreal that it didn't like. It never, hit, it didn't hit me even to now. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It didn't hit me that it was real money. I don't know what that was. Mm-hmm. Is that I remember we, uh me and my business partner, we had to, the day of the sale, we had to like, they had a checklist. They need to passwords to this. They need to the 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 code for this then mm-hmm. it was a long list and we would send it over and then there the people the lawyers would check it off then we had to send this over send it over send it over and at the end of the process well that we would check everything make sure everything was okay and then they sent over the wire transfer mm-hmm. to the broker and then the broker takes their cut then they send the rest to us so mm-hmm. we got the money that day wow so uh, and then it's another ten percent that's held in uh in some kind of escrow just in case down the line. Uh, mm-hmm. they need something from us. Because mm-hmm. at the time we, we we're on like contract to mm-hmm. anything they ask for the next 90 days, we have to be on call. It is it's another mm-hmm. part of the sale, is that yeah. for twenty-four yeah. hours, they got anytime they ask us a question, we gotta respond in twenty-four respond. hours, or it affects that money that's held in that escrow, <laughs> the last 10%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's uh and they never called us for anything. So uh Well, so
0: I'm sure there's people out there wondering, like, okay, well, do I need to be in tech to sell my company? What type of business can be sold can it be any company like what, what does that look any
1: like? company can be sold and that's what I, I tell people is that that's a it's a viable way to look look at your business right is that when you when you have a business you also you carry risk also mm-hmm. cash has no risk because it's in the bank yeah you see in that and people need to look at more about building a business to sell because let's say I have a business, so I got businesses, I got real estate, so I got. But as long as I'm, as long as you carry an asset, it also has risk. So the risk can go to zero. The risk is the asset can go to zero. There's liability. Somebody can come in one of my properties, hurt themselves. Now I'm getting sued. If I got cash in the bank, that's almost zero liability. What can happen except for the U.S. falling, mm. right? That's it. So one way that you reduce risk in your life is you sell assets off. Mm. And in uh, a business is an asset. So uh, I don't like a lot of people say, "Well, I'm gonna keep my business. I'm gonna let nobody get it." But as long as you carry it, you also carry that risk. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it is a way uh, a way to build wealth is to just sell some assets, including businesses. No,
0: that's really interesting because. Um... Like you said earlier, some people are thinking, like, oh, I want to create generational wealth. I want to pass this business on to the my kids. The kids may not even want it. The kids may not even want it. And I think I've seen something recently where, you know, generational wealth, it, it like, deteriorates after two generations yeah. or something like that. So It's hard
1: to keep that anyway. You it, can keep it up to, to your grandkids, but then it starts. My mom said a quote to me the other day. She said, "Uh, she said, good men make easy times. But then mm. easy times make bad men. Mm. So what happens is that, let's say, for example, I went through bad times so I consider myself I'm a good man. Yeah. My son, he's in easy times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. You yeah, know, hopefully yeah. he turns out to be a good man. But yeah. let's say he turns out to be a good man. His son's going to be in even easier times. So yeah. He may end up being a bad man. And then the whole cycle starts, he blow all the generational money. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Yeah. Is that he don't know about saving money and mm-hmm. struggling. He just gets the money and just blows it all. Yeah, you know? absolutely.
0: You know? So, Look, Take us back to the first business. You know, what are some of the mistakes that you made in that business that you would recommend to people out there to prevent or even in the future that, you know, like, OK, I've made this mistake before. I'm not doing that again. Give us like three mistakes that you, you made.
1: I thought about this a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot over the years. And I would say the top three is, is one is I should have been more careful with the money. Mm. And what I mean by that is, and that were
0: you the only? Not to cut you off, my bad. But were okay. you the only person in the business? that was just you. It was just me. Okay, and
1: that's that's another thing, a mm. point I want to touch on. But I was, I was uh, one of the biggest mistakes I made is that uh, that I, I let things affect me too much. I was young. I was younger than you are now, you know. And uh, and one of the one of the biggest mistakes I made is that I had an office that was uh that was close to downtown St. Pete. It wasn't a great office. It was okay. Mm. Uh, and I, uh, and I remember one dude came in and he looked at my office. He said, man, I, I, this is a bad office. Some, some, a client or something mm-hmm. said, no, everybody, I, I was making good money and everything. And one dude said he didn't like the office. So he did not trust me to do business. Wow. You know? And I, I let that one dude Effective. get in my head. Yeah. The next week I canceled that cheap office which at the time was $200 a month. And it was a big office. It was probably like six, 700 square feet. It was four people working in there wow and i and I, I counseled that office and went downtown and paid two thousand dollars a month at office on, on mm. the top like a, on the top floor of a building mm. and I spent another thirty thousand outfit in that office because one dude mm. said that <laughs> he didn't like the office nobody else said it up to that point point. Mm. and I ended up that's that was one of the reasons why I went bankrupt because mm. I th- it, that was the beginning of the end. Mm. Right, because now I had this big nut to cover, $2,000 a month plus internet plus electricity, mm. 25, th- almost $3,000 a month I had to cover every month. Mm-hmm. And that was that, that started pulling it down. Then when that Google thing hit, mm. uh, where Google changed the algorithm, I didn't have any more leads. So I would have diversified my lead sources. That's another thing I would have done. I would have not listened to people, diversified my lead source and brought on a partner. So mm-hmm. the next business, I had a partner, which like you said, how did I know about the warrants? He told me. How would I know about all this other stuff? He told me he was somebody else there that had a more experience in things that I didn't have experience mm-hmm. in that helped guide me. Uh, and I guided him too down the tech mm-hmm. path. So now you got like a convergence of two people who know what they're doing. And it's hard to break it when you got two people that's going forward. So those three things, I would have stopped. I would have uh, paid closer attention to the bottom line, which is the money. I would have diversified my lead sources. And I would have gotten a business partner earlier. So
0: I want to dive into the business partner thing, right? There's because the way I look at it is a business partner can almost be like a it, it is a relationship, right? So and I I think I I heard something where most partners business partnership actually don't end up working out. What was it between you guys that made it work? Are you guys like two completely different people? So yeah, they that's they kinda attract, that's it kind of attracts. You know what what was it that made? You I guys think what
1: well, well, me and him work out, and we got several businesses now that we work on together. Uh, we work out because we're in different – we go down – like, like his field of of expertise is not my field of expertise at all. Like, he, I don't know – when he talks about this stuff, I don't know what he's talking about, you know? So, he can – I just let him handle his stuff 100%. He lets me handle my stuff 100%. So, we don't have any arguments. If you got somebody that's too alike, like you are, you're going to have arguments. Mm-hmm. I think we should do this. No, I think we should do this because both of y'all are experts in this same yeah. thing. Yeah. And that's what people naturally do, right, is they get a business partner who are their, their friends their Cousins, somebody family. they knew from college. Now, those people are going to be more uh, almost exactly like mm-hmm. you, so that's what's going to cause the conflicts. Mm-hmm. And then they try to be friends with that business mm-hmm. partner. Me and him are friends now, but at first, we didn't like we weren't really friends, we mm-hmm. didn't hang out. We hung out because over so many years of doing stuff, getting there, we became friends. Yeah, they say we weren't pe- friends at first, though. <laughs> they say
0: people that you make money with become the best friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, so did you guys? Was there any ego there or was there anything like I got to understand his personality trait to or it was just kind of more natural?
1: I would say like the first two weeks, it was like uh, we're trying to figure out each other in the relationship. I remember it being some tension there. But after we kind of went down our own lanes after like a couple of months, it it was no tension or anything Mm -hmm. after that.
0: So when you guys sold, fast forwarding a little bit, when you guys sold the company, you guys split the profit 50-50? Yeah, it
1: was 50-50. Okay,
0: cool. And so what i want to talk about now is so you have found some a lot of success and you know people hear like two and a half million dollars you know that's that's pretty good money that's life-changing money and you and i were talking in the car and you were like i'll keep working as long as i can right i don't see retirement anywhere right i enjoy what i'm doing i'm curious like what uh, what advice would you give to people out there that hear that, right? They hear like you enjoy working and there's people out there that absolutely hate what they're doing. How can people take the steps to get to the point where they enjoy what they're doing and they can wake up whenever they want and do whatever they want?
1: Uh, I, I would say like, you have to have some passion for something. I'm going to tell you this right now is that I've heard people say things like, "Uh, man, if I ever got a million dollars, I'd be done for life. I'll just put it into a, like Mm -hmm. some kind of account and I would just Mm -hmm. live off the interest. But the thing about that, having that kind of thinking will never get you the million dollars or the 2 million or 10 million whatever, because you remember you're in competition with other people, everything you do, every dollar that you make is, is competition for that Mm -hmm. dollar. And there's people like me out there that say, I'm never (laughs) going to quit, you know, so I'm going to keep working and working regardless of how much money I got. Mm -hmm. And you're going to give up as soon as you get it. Mm -hmm. So the kind of mindset that will make you say, I'd give up as soon as I got it. You would never get there. Mm -hmm. Because right? most people who are successful, they don't want to quit. Why would I want to build up a lifetime of skills, a lifetime of knowledge, a lifetime of talents that one day I get some money and say, I just don't want to do it no more? That mm. doesn't make sense. Not even fair to your, to, to society itself, really. Mm. Because if I built up all these skills, why would I, at 41 years old, just say, I don't want to do it no more? Mm. You know, I may take a break for a couple of weeks or something, yeah. but I always want to do something and want to make money uh and not even because i need the money just because i like making it Mm. it's like a video game it's like the
0: the, the score keeps going up right the better you do right absolutely wow um so i'm curious is is there anything in the currently that you're working on that you're trying to build up and eventually sell are you thinking about that right now
1: yeah, there's a couple of things. Yeah. Uh, we're working on a, uh, me and my business partner, we got two things and three things we're actually working on. One is, a uh, is a cycling studio in Odessa, Florida, mm-hmm. uh, that's completely automated, right? Mm-hmm. So is that there's no staff, uh, you walk in, it's almost like a, it's like, it's almost like Peloton, but in real life. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that you walk the the, the the cyclist, uh the main cyclist or the trainer walks in, scans in, the door opens, she gets in there, her class starts. The people come in, they scan in. Mm-hmm. Uh the computer gets them uh tells them which bike to go to or whatever. They do their class. At the end of the class there's cameras everywhere. So the the cyclist or the uh the 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 class leader or whatever Gets our, uh, all our content, all mm. you know. She's able to post it online and do whatever she want. The class ends. We build a cyclist. We don't build the people build a, uh the people who are in the class, and then uh and that's the end of the class, right? Is that we make our profit from the people who are running the classes instead mm. of the. So you can charge whatever you want, fifty dollars, you know, whatever you want for your class, uh. But we just charge mm. you for using the studio, using the space. Yeah, okay, cool. And uh and also delivering those uh video files to you. And so
0: with that, you obviously have an end in mind with that, and you probably yeah. want to. I'm assuming make sure it works. Maybe uh, multiply the success. Maybe do it in other areas, and then. So
1: our, our plan for that is to franchise it. So we're, franchise. that's what I'm saying from the beginning, where we start in the company, we're starting it with a franchise model in mind, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm saying. It's very important to start a company with the in and out, and and because. We're, that's why we're working on the logo and the design and making sure that design is repeatable mm-hmm. and making sure we we write down everything that we're doing who we use or whatever make sure we got in the list so when we do decide to franchise it mm-hmm. all that's so we can say hey man here's the list here's what who we use here's the logos here's everything you need to franchise this model mm-hmm. so it, it has to be done from the beginning if not it's a it's a bunch of mess
0: mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. I want to transition a little bit. I think we have uh, like about 15 more minutes or so. Um, something a hot topic right now that everybody's talking about, and you've been educating a lot of people on is AI. And you mentioned it earlier in the conversation. Can you break down for the people out there that don't know what AI is and what this art is and chat GPT and all this stuff? Can you break down what AI is? What's the future? I'm sure you these are like questions you get all the time. Yeah, now. (laughs) Uh, But for for someone out there that doesn't know what AI is, can you break that down for them?
1: So AI, short for artificial intelligence. uh, So what it means is that it's the it's ability of a computer to do anything that traditionally humans can only do. And people think AI is like Terminator, the Matrix and stuff like that. But it, it's actually anything that a human can do uh, traditionally. Like facial recognition on your phone is AI. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, being able to spell check in, in a certain way is AI. Uh, playing if you play chess uh on the computer, that's AI that runs that chess algorithm. Yeah, yeah. All of those are AI algorithms that we've had for 20, 30, even 40 years. Mm-hmm. Right? But now what we're what, what everybody's Excited about is a, is what's called AGI. Actually, people are confusing the terms, but AGI is artificial general intelligence. Okay, and that's what you see in the Matrix. That's what mm-hmm. you see in uh in um in Terminator and mm-hmm. those movies like that. Is general Intelligence. that means that an AI system can do anything a human can do by mm-hmm. itself, right? Before AI was limited to certain topics mm-hmm. and, and set you know subjects. And it could do like face recognition, Well, now mm-hmm. ChatGPT, you just ask it anything mm-hmm. and it responds. That's general intelligence and that's what all the excitement is about. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like I said, the future of AI is pretty bright. And I'm, a lot of people are afraid of it, but I always say like, look, if you're afraid of AI, I want you to explain to me why you're afraid. Mm-hmm. without using a movie as a reference. Mm-hmm. And then nobody can do that mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's all, oh, men it's like the Terminator or mm-hmm. it's like the Matrix. Okay, don't use any movies or mm-hmm. any media and tell me why you're afraid of AI.
0: What do people say? I'm afraid it's going to take my job.
1: It's going to take your job, right? But that's one of the biggest things. But you got to remember, uh, it's a movie called Hidden Figures. You ever saw that movie? Mm-hmm. It's uh, a woman, a black woman. She was um, she was a NASA uh, mathematician and she found an era before, yeah, I did so, see that movie.
0: Yeah, I did see that movie. Okay, yeah, go so ahead, go ahead.
1: She was a mathematician, and she found an era before they did one of the one of the uh, space launches. Right, mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. before the era yep. of, of computers. Yep, yep. Her title was a calculator.
0: Mm. That was
1: her title. A, what, what do you do for a living? I'm a calculator.
0: That's crazy.
1: So that job no longer exists. <laughs> you know, yep. but there's still jobs at NASA, right? So th- what happens when AI? And remember, if you go back even farther. I think 40, I think even 60% of the society worked on farms before the 1900s, before mechanized farms mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Now, what, what technology does is it just replaces the jobs we don't want to do. Then we move up the ladder, right? Then it, like, like, we 100%. don't work in manufacturing no more. 100%. Like before you go back to the 80s, all of my family worked in manufacturing some mm-hmm. kind of way. In Puerto Rico, that was a big, uh, it was memory factories, all this mm-hmm. stuff. All that's either in China or, mm-hmm. or it's done by computers. Mm-hmm. or robots. So what, what what technology does is moves us up. So we do jobs that are less desirable, mm-hmm. right? And that's what's going to happen. Like a lot of the simple jobs that, re, that require, like I had a job one time when I was working on a factory line at train. And I remember what, what I did is that it was these big air conditioner units that go on top of buildings. You can walk inside them. They're so big. And what my job was is that when it would come down the line, it would stop and I would take these big insulation sheets, and I would spray glue inside, and I would paste the insulation on the inside of the unit, and then i let the next unit come. And I would do that job, and the, my mind would just flow free because it was a mindless job. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to think. Yeah. I would think about all these ideas, and I would do it. And the next thing I know, five, six hours passed, and I don't even know what happened. You know, <laughs> But those kind of jobs are going to be replaced by yeah. jobs I call mindless jobs. Yeah. They don't require a lot of thinking. Yeah, I didn't... but was that the best place for a human to be? No, my God, I could do something else. So I think the AI is would, would take those jobs away. And another thing I talked okay. about is that AI is actually gonna have a, we're gonna have a brighter future with AI. And people don't realize this, is that AI is gonna do two things, right? It's gonna replace all those jobs that we don't wanna do. But it's also gonna open up opportunities for jobs we wanna do. Mm. Arts, mm-hmm. think about the jobs that can't be replaced with AI. Right. Jobs that require human touch, human connection, uh jobs where people want to see human emotion mm. and humans succeed and fail. Those jobs are gonna be the biggest jobs on the planet. And when we're talking about art, we're talking about music, we're talking about a dance, we're talking about uh uh like massages. Nobody mm. wants a robot massage. I mean, they got those <laughs> massage chairs in the mall. People yeah. still go to humans to right, get that right, done. Right. Uh we're talking about uh jobs like athletics. Mm-hmm. And those jobs will be expanded. Mm-hmm. So instead of having one NBA, you mm-hmm. got six NBAs. Mm-hmm. You may have a local team in every city because, because let's fast forward 20 years into the future. Now, since AI has taken over all the menial jobs, everybody's only working 20 hours a week, maybe 10 hours a week and whatever they want to do, right? So now you got an, a, a way extra, you know, uh, leisure time. Mm-hmm. You got, well, you got three, four, maybe 10 times more leisure time than you had in the past. What you going to do with that if you're a basketball fan? You're going to watch more basketball. Yep. The NBA can't uh, handle that demand by itself. So now instead of having one NBA, you may have an NBA for people under six foot. You have another NBA that's just the summer league. You may have another NBA that's just for people who, you know, maybe half-court NBA, mm-hmm. like, the, like the big three maybe be yeah, bigger. Yeah, yeah. So now you're going to have, because I got, instead of me having 10 hours a week to bust basketball, I got 40 hours a week. Now mm-hmm. i want to watch basketball all day. Mm-hmm. I want to look at everything. I want to watch everything. Mm-hmm. So now you have to have jobs. You have to have people to fill those roles. So now people who are good at basketball can get paid for it. Maybe down you know, here in, in Tampa, we have a league here where people pay to go to because they have more leisure time.
0: Do you think more leisure time equals to uh, economic growth or just growth in society? Because the reason why I ask that is because I, I think recently it was a bill that proposed that we could possibly switch to a four day work week. And there is a YouTuber, a YouTuber that was breaking down like, well, is this really a good thing? right? And he presented the facts and he's basically saying for the countries that already work, you know, an average of 32 hours a week, this is what they're known for. This is what they've created. And it seems like the, the countries that only work 28 hours, 32 hours, like the biggest thing that they've created was like chocolate or something like yeah, that. It like wasn't anything stuff. Yeah. innovative was what I'm saying. So, and he wasn't saying like, yo, oh, you, we should work five days a week or whatever. But Do you, my question is, do you think more leisure time is going to equal to, you know, more innovation? I
1: think what he's referring to is like competition among countries. Right? If that one country has their people working 6 hours a week and one has 30, of course that country is going to win. But if AI is spread all over the world, everybody drops 50%. Mm-hmm. So the United States may be working 25 hours a week, Sweden goes down to 15. Mm-hmm. So Sweden still won't beat us Got it. because if you go back 100 years, people work 6 days a week. That was that was normal. Yeah. 10 hours a day, 6 days a week. That's fact. You know, and now we work less because we have less time, more yeah. time. Yeah. So I think cuz technology takes over a lot of the repetitive jobs that ne- we needed people before
0: yeah absolutely cool cool um uh, transitioning a little bit i want to ask you what does success look like to you nowadays because i'm sure when you were in your 20s when you were my age success looked different maybe it didn't but what does success look like to you now and how does it different from you know back then
1: uh when i was younger I don't think I ever like try to define success really. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Let me see if I did. I would like any kid. You think you're gonna be riding around in uh in private jets and stuff like that? Uh, and you like, well, especially if you come from poverty, you think that. You you don't understand it as different levels of mm. uh, being rich. Oh, yeah. You're, like, yeah. you're either rich or you're poor. You wanted others. Yeah. So, nah, there's levels to being rich, right? Yeah. Is that you can low level, high level. You can be you
0: rich know. and then compare to somebody else yeah, be you're looking like be you poor.
1: poor. Yeah. <laughs> I walked in rooms so where I'm like, man, I don't have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What, what does success so, look
0: like to you now, though?
1: So, uh, my success really is being, being able to do what I want to do, right? Mm. Is that I can, uh, I don't have to. I don't have to do any, if I, like I, I told you before, if I said, if I wanted to quit right now, I could quit everything and just mm-hmm. stop and I'd be good for the rest of my life. My real estate income, stock income, all this other stuff, would, I'd be okay for the rest of my life. Now, I wouldn't be like, I, I would be, you know, still considered rich even mm-hmm. by my income, but I, would, uh, I, I wouldn't I, would want to be stagnant like that. I mm-hmm. wouldn't have nothing to do. My days would just run together like, mm-hmm. what would I do all day? So, the happiness to me is being able to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. If I want to start a company, or a cycling company tomorrow, I can just do it and start yeah. over. That's that's mm-hmm. what I think success is. I got the capital, the know-how, connections, everything to do whatever I want to do. And know, like most things, up mm-hmm. 95% of things I want to do, I can do it. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't like, you know, do crazy stuff, mm-hmm. like buy a... Uh, 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 you know, a uh, uh, 50 foot yacht and you mm-hmm. can't do that. But I'm saying 98% of the things I want to do, I can, I can do it. Mm-hmm. If it requires money. Yeah. If absolutely. I really wanted to.
0: I was going to say, even with the 98 foot yacht, I mean, you probably have the connections that can probably get the capital to eventually go yeah, if you uh, yeah. really, if wanted, really to, wanted to yeah, yeah. so I, it would uh, take a
1: while it wouldn't be instant but <laughs>
0: absolutely like
1: I, 50, i'm talking like one of those huge ones like 50 foot's not yep. that big yeah, really 50 i could get that but i'm saying like the ones like leonardo caprio's mm-hmm. i don't know if you saw it it's like mm-hmm. 200 feet mm-hmm. all black and got mm-hmm. you know, yeah. all the helicopter on top no nah, i couldn't get that now
0: yeah that's crazy uh okay you know wrapping this thing up you know, one thing that we always ask our guests on the podcast, I'm going to put you on the spot now, right now. Who's one person that needs to be on the Latin wealth Podcast?
1: Uh, uh there's, a, there's a guy in uh, Miami called uh, Cristo Crypto. Okay. And uh, I like him a lot. He kind of like does crypto, but he also uh, combines uh, Christianity. Oh, and, uh, interesting. So he's a good dude. So interesting. Be the, a good one.
0: Okay, we got We got to link up with him. Um, but yeah, uh, wrapping up this podcast. Thank you guys for tuning into this episode. A lot of great information on this episode. If people want to reach out to you and they have any more questions, if they don't already follow you, where can people follow you? And you know what? What are some things that you're going to be educating the community about? You know, uh, maybe talk next, about
1: tycoon on yeah, all platforms. T a yeah. l l g u y t y c o o n and that's on all platforms. Uh, and we talk about stocks, crypto investing, and technology.
0: Yep. With that being said, you guys know where to find us, at Latin Wealth on Instagram. Share this episode with one other person that needs to hear this information. Maybe you have a business owner or entrepreneur friends that needs to hear this information. Share it with them. With that being said, it's your boy Chris. We'll catch you guys next week. Peace. I appreciate
1: it.